You know, I was brought up to be very optimistic. And a little over a month ago, uh, I since discovered that I tore a muscle in my, uh, to the right of my left kneecap. And I thought, now how do I turn that into optimism? I thought and I thought, and I finally concluded, at least I'm not a horse. Okay. So however bad it looks, including in Washington, there's a turn around the corner. Okay. I'm going to uh, describe uh, Washington, a town I love and hate at the same time. Uh, my heart is still there. Uh, I have begun my 51st year covering the business of agriculture. I started April Fool's Day, actually, 1972, okay? All great men are dead and I don't feel well myself, okay? Now I'm gonna, uh, here's, here's trying to make Washington come alive. Right now I know uncertainties prevail and you can see them, whether it's uh, in Congress, uh, policy, markets, weather, uh, and now geopolitics big time. We're not hitting anywhere close to that center. But uh, uncertainties prevail and you can just go through the list uh, just over the last few years since 2008. Now I'm not going to go through them all. We've lived it uh, through the uh, impacts of uh, COVID, financial crises, uh, volatile uh, elections, uh, including former President uh, Trump. Uh, in, uh, in my college day, Southern Illinois University, I emphasize the Southern uh, in that. Uh, I worked for the school newspaper, and I covered uh, the rock groups that came through on the Mississippi River Festival. Uh, the Rolling Stones when they were young, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, etc. I didn't know it at the time, but that helped prepare me to cover President Trump. Okay? <laughs> I counted the four years covering him in dog years. It felt like 27 years. Liked a lot of his policies, but at the end of it, I was exhausted and he wasn't. More on Trump later. Okay? Don't get too negative. I traverse this great country. Uh, there wasn't hardly a day in January except the first week that I wasn't on the road. Uh, but the beauty about that is I see the regional differences, including, again, in Louisiana. And that brings a depth to uh, Farm Journal and Pro Farmer various uh, publications of AgriTalk, my podcast, because not all regions are the same. Uh, Illinois and Iowa has to learn that they don't have uh, the black earth going down feet uh, and uh, the uh, you know, you know, positive basis and things like that. But I want to cite three quick ones of why I'm optimistic for the years ahead. The U.S. economy, whether or not we're going into a recession remains mute to me because it depends on if we do have one, uh, how long will it be and how severe will it be? And agriculture, when you look at the history, is not that dramatically impacted by any recession. People still have to eat. Uh, but once the market realizes the Federal Reserve is done increasing interest rates, I think we're going to get probably two more meetings uh, March and May of another 25 basis point uh, uh, hike. Uh, there's not a consensus on that in the private industry. They're opposite the Fed. They think the Federal Reserve 
will lower interest rates yet this year. Now, Fed Chairman Jerome J. Powell is giving a speech in about an hour from now, so he's probably going to make it clear again that that's not the case. But why do I bring this up? Once there's an overall consensus that they're going to stop, then the discussion will be how long will that, what we call a terminal rate, uh, last? Will it be five months, six months, seven months, etc.? And then they'll start decreasing interest rates. That's when you'll see the, thr uh, the thorough pulse of the U.S. economy kick off again, and we know how, how that can be. The one thing we have an advantage over in my whole life, and it's not going to change, in America is innovation and entrepreneurship. And that's where we have the ace card against uh, most countries, including China. They just steal it, okay? But we, we, we do all that research at the land-grant universities, etc. So that's the overall economy. And now the ag economy is pretty good. Uh, history tells me uh, when you've had, and I know UK people have a pretty good year, most of you. I never use all. Um, uh, usually it doesn't have consecutive years of good uh, you know, crops uh, and prices. Uh, so we're probably going to go into a period the next uh, year to 18 months of cut, you know, cash flow, especially with interest rates going higher and the uncertainties. But China is big in the news, and not only lately that we've had this balloon uh, incident that cost me a Saturday morning having to write it up in a special report, the so-called spaghetti cheese uh, incident, as some of you have told me. Uh, but prior to that incident, and some incidents in the past that are just coming aware of, uh, China was flip-flopping, uh, pivoting, if you will, to become nicer, at least out in public, to the U.S. and the Western world. Uh, our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, was going to go there Saturday or Sunday, and uh, he canceled that trip. Uh, Biden, our president, said yesterday that he, he doesn't think that it will be degrading to the overall U.S.-China relationship. Why am I bringing this up is we are in a U.S. and China-centric world. Uh, they drive a lot of demand, and increasingly so, on the logistics uh, system. But uh, they don't make all the right decisions, uh, as many people think they do. Xi Jinping, their leader, made a strategic mistake with their zero COVID policy. And when it increasingly became evident that it was hurting their domestic economy, uh, the Chinese leadership uh, changed. And we're in the process of reopening them uh, to the world. But you know what I think really changed uh, in China? Believe it or not, it was the World Soccer Games. Uh, the Chinese people watched them on their televisions and saw stadiums filled with people who were not wearing masks. And they were having fun. Meanwhile, at that, at the, at that time, they were in a, a multi-month lockdown. So I've never seen protests uh, the way I've seen in China earlier this year. Uh, so watch China. I, hopefully this, you know, this balloon incident will not cascade into any, uh, any mistakes at the geopolitical end. But the third one 
is what really gets me excited. The new, we're in a new industrial revolution in the business of agriculture. Uh, it's not pie in the sky, it is happening right now, and I've seen it over the last few years, but especially this past year. It really began with the drones, and I think there's a couple of drone exhibits at your, at your meeting now. Uh, up to 90% of all the drones used in American businesses is in agriculture. Uh, we've had the rise of what we call agbots, robotics. Not only in the dairy industry, where I've toured over the last few years several 24-7 robotic dairies with a better safety record, less demand for labor, etc. And that's how a number of companies are dealing with Washington's inability to get uh, uh, immigration reform that I know your industry needs. Uh, I think it's coming sooner than people think. I hope I'm right. Uh, but there's other things going on. Uh, CHS, a big co-op, if you're ever in Minneapolis, uh, they have a war room in a building, in a room a, a lot like this with monitors, you know, computer monitors all around. It's like shooting a, 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 a equipment to the moon, that they track the barges going down the great Mississippi River so they can better align their labor needs. They can track their driver, driverless uh, uh, trucks, uh, again, having to deal with the shortage of labor to drive trucks. It's here now, and uh, that helps them on the labor front. Digitization, in which a lot of clerical people who they can't get uh, new workers to work, they have computerized that, and it's actually more accurate. I could go on and on, and this is happening right now, and it's only going to improve. Now, what's the signal there? Uh, I think it's happening now, but increasingly more in the future. Uh, we're going to lower the cost of ag transportation, both domestically and, and for export market keeping us competitive to fledgling countries like Brazil and Argentina. Now that's a good thing. That's a good thing. What farmers are asking about, you're going to get the benefit of my many meetings over the last few months that takes me, uh, took me from Yakima, Washington with cherry and apple growers. I've never been there. Uh, they're just like you farmers. Uh, same issues, etc. to uh, uh, more than a few meetings in, in Fargo and North Dakota. You know, when you go to Fargo in January and February, if it does anything else, it builds character, okay? I always learn that all the time. But here are some things farmers are asking, and I'll detail some of these in a bit. Farm bill timing. Most of the so-called smart people in Washington, who frequently are not smart, are signaling a one to two year extension primarily because the Republicans now control the House and there's education to do, not only at the new members of Congress, but their staff. I think that's overplayed, but we'll see. My hunch is that it could take until the first quarter of 2024 to get a, a farm bill. But you have two uh, chair people, uh, House Ag Committee Chairman G.T. Thompson, a uh, new chairman, a Republican from Pennsylvania, and Debbie Stabenow uh, from Michigan. Uh, Stabenow has done this before, so she knows the process. 
G.T. Thompson is a gregarious lawmaker. I had dinner with he and his wife Penny a couple months ago now, and his passion for getting a farm bill is unlimited. So the, 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 the goal is there to get it done, and he's listening to both political parties as to what they want. Uh, more on that later. Biggest farm bill item needed is the safety net. There's big gaps. Over the last four years or so, we've had taxpayers, I never say U.S. government, taxpayers have paid multi-billion dollars in disaster aid payments. That to me simply says that the Title I safety net has a lot of gaps in it, so it needs to be improved. But increasingly so, uh, more farmers, especially the field crops, uh, corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, cotton to a degree, and rice, uh, are saying their real farm program is the crop insurance program because of the inability of the farm bills of the past uh, to improve that Title I. So the focus in this coming farm bill uh, will be the Title I to, for mainstream agriculture, production agriculture. Later on I'm going to have charts detailing this, but about 85% of the farm bill funding is on food and nutrition. Uh, that's the key. Uh, commodity groups and farm groups don't like when I say this, but again, uh, I've got so many years behind me that I can tell the truth now. I don't even have to go to confession anymore. Uh, the easiest way, not easy, easiest way to get a new farm bill is to give the Democrats most of what they want for food and nutrition. Maybe the other things fall into place. Why are food stamps so important? I was at a meeting several years ago in which the CEO of Walmart was there, and I talked to him, and he peppered me with questions about the SNAP program and food stamps, and I asked him afterwards, why did you ask so many questions on the food stamp program? And he said around 20% of dollars spent at Walmart are as a result of food stamp expenditures. That's amongst the potpourri of reasons why food and nutrition is so important to urbanite and suburbanite members. Another question I get from farmers is, will there be a world currency alternative to the dollar? Now this is raised over the years, but especially after pariah, a Russian leader, Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine on February 24th last year. Uh, Russia and China saw how the U.S. and Western allies used the dollar as a currency as part of their sanctions. Now, uh, I was a history major actually in college and I remember uh, doing uh, one paper, how long did it take for the U.S. dollar to supersede the British pound as the world currency and it basically took from 1890 to 1930. So it doesn't happen overnight, but everything's accelerated now. But uh, I don't see a currency on the horizon that will take us on. But there are changes underway. China, uh, in their dealings with key countries, uh, just overnight, Brazil, are more than encouraging uh, them to use the, their currency, the yuan or remnant, in trade transactions. And I think you're going to see that continue. 
uh, the future of electric vehicles. It, it's fundamentally going to change uh, this country and definitely uh, agriculture for a host of reasons. Uh, my father came up through the energy and automobile business and uh, I love cars and I love power in cars. My first car ever. Uh, I worked for my various, uh, yeah, you know, my father's various businesses and he was a benevolent sweatshop. He paid good, but we had to work. And I bought in high school a relatively new car, 1964 Dodge Polaro 383. It had power that when I went to a uh, red light uh, and it turned green, uh, your head goes back. That's the way it is on most every EV vehicle now. And they're quiet. And they're quiet. And the push is on in Washington and the world toward EVs. Now, why do I bring this up? It's a big aspect to a corn producer because the renewable fuel standard program is based on gasoline consumption, miles consumed. And increasingly so, we're going to have more and more purchases of EVs, as we call them. Last year, it hit the 5% mark of all U.S. cars bought. That doesn't sound like a lot, but history shows once you reach a market penetration of 5%, it usually takes off from there. So the renewable fuel standard program has to change, and it is changing. Uh, the ethanol industry is getting smarter now. They're, they're, they're focusing their sights on octane. Uh, and that's why uh, some crude oil companies are actually blending more and more. We're going to go from E10 uh, blends to a higher level E15, E20, probably the uh, sweet spot is E25, but it will take, take years to get there. But in the EVs, uh, I'm not quite so sure they'll be based on uh, uh, batteries or hydrogen. I think that research is still out on that one. But I did look as far as timeline, again as a former history major, how long did it take when the Model T car first came out to move that horse from the middle of the road to the side of the road, and it was about 20 years. We're about 10 years in to the big focus on electric vehicles. So within the next decade, you're going to see substantial changes more later. Is USDA forecasting keeping up with the private sector? I've asked that a lot. Uh, I will tell you some of those tools that I mentioned before uh, with precision planters and harvesters, etc. The private industry is getting pretty good on certain crops. Uh, are they best in the USDA? I don't think right now. Uh, NASA officials in uh, Washington tell me that they are keeping up, but they definitely need more money for research and development. Uh, by the way, I asked uh, several years ago uh, on the crop surveys, which state uh, in agriculture cheats the most? Okay. Uh, North Dakota, for whatever it's worth. There's a fudge factor they use in crop production reports. Will China continue as a big buyer of U.S. ag products? And that's that a lot. Uh, yes, but China watched uh, when the Ukraine war hit. They relied on the Ukraine for a lot of their corn, wheat, and sunflowers. And uh, they don't want to rely totally on the United States. So for the first time, 
ever or in a big way, they started purchasing corn from Brazil. And that's going to continue. Again, that's not a, a huge negative for U.S. because that takes world supplies up, uh, off the market. But increasingly so, by the end of this century, uh, using current projections, uh, China's uh, 1.4 billion people are is probably going to be halved. That's big. So increasingly, they're going to they, they will not need near the volume of uh, uh, imports in the years ahead. So that tells me we've got uh, we, we've got to focus on trade policy and increase market access. Uh, is the U.S. becoming more a domestic market versus exports? Uh, for China reasons and others, I hear that a lot amongst the uh, grain industry analysts. They think so. I, I don't, but because of those innovations that I mentioned earlier will keep us competitive uh, in the export market. Now, this is what farmers are saying. They're very reluctant to sign carbon credit contracts. And I think rightfully so. I would be very guarded uh, if I was a producer. Uh, not that these companies offering contracts are very viable uh, companies, but uh, they're trying to get it on the cheap. Uh, the European Union offers their producers much higher amounts for carbon credit. We basically, in my personal judgment, still don't know how to measure carbon, and we definitely don't know how to price it. USDA's uh, economic uh, relief program phase two, not phase one, was the best implemented program in a long time I've seen from USDA, and phase two is the worst implemented one. Farmers are really uh, aghast at some of the things they have to provide USDA relative to tax information to get any phase two payout. Uh, farmers are anxious about what the Supreme Court is going to say in upcoming key decisions on lotus waters of the U.S. between now and June, and Proposition 12 that is really in the meat sector, uh, hog sector, where California once again wants to tell the other states how, how to do their business. Uh, there's an editorial in today's Wall Street Journal on how Proposition 12 has worked out in California relative to egg prices. Uh, read it. <laughs> it's gone awry. Okay, they're scrambling in, uh, in California. But Lotus is important uh, because let's hope the Supreme Court clarifies these water issues. Under uh, President Obama, as a Catholic, we had the Lotus Rule from Hell. Under President Trump, we had the Lotus Rule from Heaven. And probably the Supreme Court is going to give us the Lotus Rule from Purgatory. Okay? But water issues are key. You know, every time I told you all the speeches I give, west of the Mississippi, about a third of the meetings I attend includes water. Different uh, aspects, uh, availability, pricing, regulations, etc. And it's starting to creep in to states east of the Mississippi. That's going to continue. And around the world in the future, you could have some pretty major battles between countries uh, over water. Um, crop insurance, uh, farmers feel, feel, fear it will be negatively impacted because Washington goes after low-hanging fruit. Other than uh, 
that food and nutrition program, uh, um, the crop insurance uh, spends uh, the uh, most money. The farmers have a lot of their own money, a skin if you will, uh, in that game. Uh, there are so many options right now. If you were a corn and, and soybean producer, it's just mind-boggling the options you have in crop insurance. Uh, so uh, increasingly, a number of farmers that I know are, are getting uh, consultants and, and, and programs uh, done at universities in the farm credit system called Optimum to help them determine which uh, crop insurance they should have. And livestock and dairy are the biggest uh, growers. Now, it increases in the utilization of insurance because uh, they have made those programs better for those sectors. And I know sugar has got some changes in your insurance program. So if you don't ask, you don't get. So I think insurance is getting better. More funding is needed for uh, uh, trade promotion programs called uh, MAP and uh, FMD. But you know the 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 and those are needed. It's it's market research basically. Uh, later on, I'll have the uh, uh, factoid for you. Uh, we've had over our history, we've had 19 farm bills. This current one, I never put a year on a farm bill. I've got to wait until it's done because of potential extensions. But I will have covered 11 of them. So over the years, I think I've seen some elements that work and don't work. And one of the things near an end of each farm bill that I've covered, uh, agricultural research funding is needed, uh, an increase is needed, it's talked about, and then at the very end, they usually reduce the top end that they've talked about for months. I hope that doesn't happen. The same thing with the ag trade promotion program. So that gets into your priorities that you have to have. Um, farm equipment repairs are taking a lot longer in certain parts of the country to be completed. Uh, I know in, I live in Virginia now. And uh, in Maryland, I, more than a few farmers have told me that is the case. Uh, interesting question I ask in the uh, many speeches I give is, how many of you producers own farm equipment stock, equities, uh, John Deere, etc.? Very few hands go up. Uh, you know the fertilizer prices you've had to pay over the last year or so. How many of you own? Fertilizer equities of companies. Very few hands go up. That surprises me. Don't get mad, get even. Okay? It's a hedge. Uh, so consider that. Uh, okay. You're probably sick and tired of elections. I'm going to digest real briefly the 2022 elections in which this so called experts, uh, some of them, uh, said that uh, the Republicans were going to have a red wave. I never thought that because they had garnered a lot of House seats the prior election. But uh, still, the Democrats had a far better election than the numbers would have suggested, especially uh, the economy, uh, the interest rates, uh, etc., and the mood of the country. So what, what happened? I, I can only conclude in a major way that fear won out over anger 
against President Biden and the way the Democrats were running the country. What fear? The fear was uh, about the far-right candidates, especially in the Senate, uh, many of whom were backed by former President Trump. So the Republicans lost uh, the independent voter who always decides close elections, and increasingly so, they lost uh, more than a few women voters. Uh, so now a change is underway, more on that later. The House, the Republicans, modest, modest majority, but it's still a majority nonetheless. And the Democrats actually gained one seat uh, in the Senate, uh, but Kirsten Sinema, uh, uh, a Democrat from uh, Arizona, uh, flipped to become an independent. So what's this mean? We now have a new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, uh, from Bakersfield, uh, California, by the way, it's agriculture uh, district. He knows our industry, and that's a good thing going into a farm bill debate. Uh, it was at 1.15 a.m. Eastern Time on the 15th round of, of him getting the votes for speaker. It was theater, for sure. And of the around 20 Republicans who kept voting present, there was one from Florida, Matt Gates, who actually said the line, he got everything he wanted and he couldn't think of anything else to ask McCarthy to get, but he still voted present. That tells you a lot right there. Uh, most of Washington has written McCarthy off, uh, thinking that he's pigeonholed and won't be able to deliver. I like to wait and see results before forecasting that. House Democratic leader is uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries from New York, uh, liberal but not nearly as liberal as outgoing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is no longer part of the leadership. She's in Congress, but I think in the next few months she'll be listed as the ambassador to Italy. House rules package. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the changes that's constricting what the majority leader can do, but there's one that will affect, or could affect, uh, agriculture. Uh, McCarthy signed off on allowing uh, three large um, uh, conservative Republicans from the Freedom Caucus uh, on to that uh, Rules Committee. And Rules Committee is important because along with the Speaker, they decide which bills go onto the House floor and which amendments are in order. Now, some of these arch conservatives have a history of not looking kindly toward the sugar program and to crop insurance programs. Now, should you be afraid? No, but you should be forewarned. That's where your lobbyists, uh, Jack and others, Luther for the Beats, uh, are well aware of this. And if history is any judge, uh, they will be front and center in education. And it's already going on. But it's something to watch out for, These are how things can happen. Uh, majority Leader continues to be Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, and Mitch McConnell on the minority and Republican from Kentucky. More than a few Republicans are taking pot shots at McCarthy now. Uh, he's handled more important things in his life. He had polio as a kid, so uh, he's the gentleman in the room. What's the agenda? House investigations, of which uh, some should be made. Uh, Afghanistan, if you saw the sorry way our country left Afghanistan, not that we shouldn't have left, it's how we did. That gave the signal 
to Putin uh, gave him more confidence of his eventual plan to invade Ukraine February 24th. That probably gave the signal to Xi Jinping to start getting uh, more antagonistic toward the Western uh, world. Uh, but who came into Afghanistan almost a week after we left? China. And they're beginning uh, the long process of harvesting Afghanistan's precious minerals, cadmium, lithium, nickel, zinc, used in the production of batteries. So we didn't have the foresight. That's one thing I've seen over the last, both the Democratic and Republican administrations. I'm an equal opportunity finger pointer, okay? But we don't have the vision we used to when I first came to Washington. So we should have stayed in Afghanistan just for that. Uh, COVID origins. Most Americans know that it started in uh, China, probably as an experiment on German warfare that went awry. But China never admitted it. Uh, Justice Department, CIA, FBI. This is one serious thing the former President Trump had right. At the highest levels of those agencies or departments, it's, uh, they got way too political. And uh, it, you talk about a swamp, there's your swamp in D.C. Uh, the Biden family, a uh, lot of investigations. Will the, uh, will the Republicans overdo it? I'm just going to leave it at that. Economic policy, I've talked about before, but inflation. Remember a year ago, our Federal Reserve said that inflation was transitory. Do they ever shop themselves? Did they ever go to the supermarket? Did they ever pump gas in their car? No. And we're going to pay the consequences of probably the worst Federal Reserve in my long career. Not that they're not smart, but they're not our smart. You know? Uh, now, probably interest rates are going to go higher for longer as a result of their initial mistake. Why did they do what they did? Prior to Jerome J. Powell being chairman of the Federal Reserve, the chairwoman was Janet Yellen, who just happens to be the Treasury Secretary now in the Biden administration. They'll never admit it, but I think they got too political at the Fed because Yellen was also calling inflation transitory. So that's going to have to be corrected in interest rates, which is very important to agriculture. If uh, the Federal Reserve wants inflation at 3% by the end of this year, you'll always put at least two more percentage points for the prime rate. So there's, there's your uh, 5%, and then you go another percentage uh, point or two for real interest rates, if not more. So you can see uh, where we're going on rates. Possible recession I've already talked about, but energy is really the policy of major significance now. As the U.S. and the world goes from fossil fuel to renewable fuels, how's it going to impact agriculture in a major way? Uh, I think in a mega change way, similar to the way uh, corn-based ethanol made corn king eventually. Uh, the reason I say that is uh, carbon offsets and how it will impact agriculture. The airline industry uh, needs a lot of carbon offsets in the years ahead. There's a thing they like initially called SAF, Sustainable Aviation Fuel, primarily made with soybean oil and increasingly uh, corn oil. So now the race is on to lower those costs 
of lawmakers last year to get an incentive payment to reduce the price of sustainable aviation fuel. Now, it's not only being led by the Renewable Fuel Standard Program, but even more so in, in certain states like California and the other one of the California states like Oregon, Washington, Massachusetts, etc. Now, again, agriculture. How is this going to impact? Uh, you're going to see it initially, but increasing each year in the, in, in the near future, uh, uh, a bid on acres for corn and soybeans. We're going to crunch for oil now rather than meal, it looks like. The reason over the last 18 months, uh, Cargill, Bungie, the other big companies, have either built new soybean uh, processing plants or expanded existing ones, and that doesn't come on the cheap, 350 to $450 million. What do they see? Hmm. Uh, they see the airline industry purchasing uh, SAF for their carbon uh, offsets. Now, for agriculture plantings, cotton could see encroachment on their acres in the future as uh, corn and soybeans continue to eat into cotton acres. I don't see, I, I talked to you all last night, I don't see it in the sugarcane area, but it could also impact sugar beet ache plantings in the years ahead. And that will affect the overall sugar market if I'm anywhere close to being right. So watch that. Now the Environmental Protection Agency and their call for public comments on on the future of the RFS included renewable diesel and they asked the public to comment on food versus fuel. They never learned from their past mistakes. You could have food and fuel. You would not have near the corn plantings in this country had it not been for the ethanol program. So we have to go through that all over again. Uh, the Republicans uh, will focus in the future on the parent bill of rights. And I bring this up because a couple of years ago, before our governor's race in, uh, in Virginia, I was down in southern Virginia at a cattleman's meeting. And uh, there was a guy that was running for Republican, that's governor, Glenn Young. And I heard him speak, and I thought, I better watch this guy. Because he didn't need cue cards, uh, notes. He spoke from the heart and his intelligence. He was a former Goldman Sachs person. But he picked up on what was being uh, taught in the county I live in, Loudoun County. If you remember, if you have the stomach to watch network news, I don't anymore, okay? But it was at the top of uh, Loudoun County Board of Education meetings. They were teaching in some of the schools critical race theory and other things that both Republican and Democratic parents were up in arms over. It was well, when I attended two or three of those meetings, it was like years ago when I went on Friday night to my grandmother's house and watched boxing matches on black and white television. It was that uh, uproarious. Uh, and he caught a wave there, and that's going to continue. Uh, Senate Democrats will go on judicial nominations. You'll hear the president say that tonight in his State of the Union address. And also listen to see whether or not President uh, Biden this evening mentions one of the topics that could get bipartisan support is completing the farm bill. I don't know whether he's going to say it for sure, but that's what I'm listening for. That'll just give it some momentum in my judgment. 
uh, stopping House Republican-led bills uh, in the Senate. That's primarily their two key spots. The other areas for compromise, I think there's more room for compromise if uh, the centrist in both political parties, yes, there are centrists in both political parties, and if they ever got together, they could supersede the far left and the far right, and that's when we'll go back into getting things done again. And I'll list the areas here. Trade policy is one of them. Immigration reform is another, even though it's a sensitive issue and Republicans will insist on, as they rightfully should, uh, the border security. I'm frequently asked, when will the uncivility in Washington end? Uh, former USDA secretary, no longer with us, uh, Clayton Yider, was the uh, trade representative in the past, head of the Merck. He was a, a, a very sharp guy. A broad shoulder farmer from Dickens, Nebraska, is how I used to write about him. And I asked him that question before he passed away. And he said, when, when the minority party is a true minority party that cannot come back to office the next election, because then they have to get along to get anything they want done. And that'll come. I just don't know which political party is going to screw up enough to become a true minority party. They're fighting each other on that uh, tongue. But watch that for the future. Trade policy, I mentioned before, uh, the first two years of the Biden administration, they talked very little about trade policy. That's not a pot shot, it's that they had other priorities. So now they're starting to focus on trade policy. Uh, Ukraine, the question I cannot answer is, how does that war end? Don't know. And it's not just a war between Russia uh, and Ukraine. It's a proxy war between the U.S. or Western allies and Russia, China, uh, Iran, uh, North Korea, and some countries in the Middle East. Some good thinker, not good, that's a value word, some uh, intelligent people uh, are telling me they think that we're in the beginning throes of World War III, uh, but a different type of war. As countries start you know, picking sides, the next war will be up in the sky. A hot war in a cold space. And I believe that myself. That's why uh, you're seeing some of the current issues. And that's why the mad dash to develop uh, semiconductors, the next, uh, the next big moves in the semiconductor industry. So watch that. Uh, there's two books I'm going to give you to read if you want to become very smart and you'll know more on these two subjects than 99.9% .9 of most Americans. On China, Michael Pillsbury, The 100-Year Marathon. And if you want to be uplifted uh, on the future of the United States and the Western Allies, uh, a book by Howe, uh, and there's another author, I can't remember the name, The Fourth Turning. Uh, it was originally written in the early 1990s. It's going to be updated sometime this spring. And uncannily, in 1990, they mentioned an upcoming epidemic. They didn't mention COVID, but they saw all the uh, negative implications that the world would have to churn through. And I won't want to give away the full story, but there's a brighter day and world ahead. Read it. The fourth turning. 
uh, debt ceiling showdown. It used to be when a Republican administration came into town, uh, they would talk deficits and debt. And all debt is is an accumulation of deficits. Uh, when Trump was president, I heard very little about those. He wasn't really a Republican. He was a libertarian, uh, actually. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, but now, uh, the Republicans are back talking about the deficits and the debt. And they want to use some so-called leverage. Let's get it to agriculture. Remember on the right side, the debt, uh, which is $34.1 trillion right now. Uh, the debt is now twice the level it was when agriculture had to save $23 billion in the farm bill that year. Now, I'm not predicting that's going to happen again, but that's just perspective. And how does the debt eat into policy? Uh, right now, it costs taxpayers over $400 billion each year just to service that $34.1 trillion debt. If we were to go to interest rates uh, uh, before the last financial uh, crisis, uh, we'd be spending about $600 billion or more just to service the debt. Where do you think a farm bill will be under that economic scenario? We can no longer grow our way out of the debt problems. That uh, uh, entitlement programs, 70% uh, of all spending around is entitlement programs. The farm bill is one, but then you can't balance the budget off, off, of, uh, off the farm bill. It's like 1%. Uh, but some sensitive areas are going to have to be covered. Uh, when President Reagan was uh, president, uh, he and a bipartisan group uh, changed the course of Social Security. That was not looking good for the years ahead. And they increased the eligibility age to make it more solid. That's going to happen again. And they'll protect the people near the Social Security eligibility age. Uh, they'll do it again. What I just told you in a minute will take Congress three years to decide. Okay? But it's coming. The other more sensitive areas is Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, that's a Donnybrook. Uh, that just shows you the stats on the farm bill. We've had, uh, we've had 19, and I've covered 11. Texas A&M University had an interesting monograph about a month ago now, and they said, you know, the world won't come to an end if you don't have a new farm bill, if it's just extended, because frankly, 95% of it sits on permanent uh, authority anyway. Uh, food and nutrition programs, crop insurance, uh, uh, etc. And there's a thing that uh, I love telling when I'm in Illinois and Iowa that uh, they rely on a daily publication from University of Illinois. It's really good, FarmDoc. But now you Southerners have one. That is an accumulation of Southern land-grant university economists. It's called Southern Ag Today. Giving a Southern perspective on policy, trade, and markets. So it's at the best price farmers love. It's free, you know? So sign up for it. They do a good job. Uh, next Farm Bill leaders, I've already talked about Stabenow. She announced uh, about a month ago now that she's no longer going to seek re-election. Uh, so that means she's really driven to get this Farm Bill through. Uh, I've already told you about G.T. Thompson. Uh, who uh, supports the sugar program. He knows the 
the reason in, in the past. And where your lobbyists have done so good over the years is when another group comes in with the problem, who's one of the first groups to help support them? Sugar. And that's going to hold you in good state. Uh, I've got some uh, other, other key lawmakers there. You can study it. But there's what I told you before about farm bill spending. And you can see. You can see the top level food and nutrition and then the crop insurance. And they're, they're going to go after the low-hanging fruit if allowed to. And that's why education is underway uh, to make sure that they don't. Uh, you've got key differences between the parties, uh, between the Democrats and Republicans, primarily again on food stamps, where Republicans, I think, rightfully so, want a worker requirement for food stamps, but it's how significant that worker requirement is. So there's already meetings behind the scenes of, which, of what language can be uh, under, undertaken to get that delicate to area. Uh, I mentioned the farmer safety net, crop insurance, sugar policy. Uh, watch the amendments, not only in appropriation bills, but in the farm bills. That's where, if you're going to be had, that's how it happened years and many years ago, that they did away with the sugar uh, program. I, I don't forecast that. I think you've got a good story to tell. The best one is we'd be, we'd be a sap uh, because of all the dump prices, I think they call them around the world. So you have a program that can, can be defended. Uh, food and nutrition again. Climate uh, smart programs. You know, uh, Washington is spending uh, a lot of money on climate smart programs. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack calls it the next revenue stream for farmers. Now, when farmers hear that, they have dumbbell ears. They say, oh, what's that mean? Last year alone, they, authored, they funded conservation programs an additional $20 billion, even before the farm bill debate. So conservation should not be near the issue in this farm bill as it usually is. No matter what you think about climate smart programs, what price pride? When the pie is passed, take a piece. Look at some of these programs that are out there. Commodity Credit Corporation, uh, that's CCC Charter Act. Um, President Trump opened uh, people's eyes when he tapped USDA's CCC Charter Act uh, to help fund his uh, payments to producers, primarily soybean growers, for the US-China trade war. Uh, Vilsack noticed that, and uh, it's got Republican ag leaders in Congress upset that he tapped the CCC Charter Act, which is basically USDA's ATM machine. It's got $30 billion borrowing authority, and it's usually automatically restored at the end of the fiscal year when it gets to a certain level. Uh, Vilsack tapped that for a little over $3 billion uh, for climate smart programs without any authorization from Congress nor consultation. So that's going to be an issue in this farming bill debate. They're going to constrict his authority uh, in that area. There's the trade policy. We now have two actual trade and trade officials in the Biden administration. Late last year, they finally approved them. One at the U.S. Trade Rep's office, one at USDA. Our trade rep is Catherine Tai. She's a smart lady. 
she did the enforcement mechanisms relative to the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, USMCA. Biden, about a month ago now, uh, went down to Mexico and said he wants an environmental trade accord with Mexico and, and Canada. This is part of the uh, uh, resourcing of key supplies. No longer can or should we rely on China, Taiwan. We get 75% of our semiconductors right now from Taiwan. That can't, that can't uh, you know, you know, be allowed to stand. So we're going to source all those must-have commodities uh, coming back to the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, and that's a good thing. We have a current GMO uh, corn uh, issue with Mexico. Uh, I, it's primarily because their president, Obrador, comes from the southernmost part of Mexico, and that just happens where they make the most tortillas, and he wants to ban the import of GMO corn, and it, in 2024 or 2025, uh, it won't happen. Uh, it just will not happen. But uh, the farm groups and lawmakers and the White House is on to that. I've talked enough about the RFS, but I did want to go to this uh, one, the last bullet. Uh, clean fuels credit begins in 2025. The EPA has not yet announced whether corn-based ethanol qualifies for that. So that, that's a biggie. Here's one. You mentioned agricultural research funding that I totally agree with. What better return on investment than, than research in agriculture? Uh, much higher on a success basis, well, medical research for obvious reasons. It's a little harder, but you give agriculture a problem, usually research can eventually handle it. But look, this is a chart I don't like because now China and the EU are spending more money on public agricultural research than we are. Not a good development. Uh, real quick now, Senate elections, 2024. Uh, I don't think the Republicans can even screw up 2024. Okay, reason? Uh, the Democrats are gonna defend 23 states, three in states won by Trump uh, in 2016 and 2020, and three that swung between uh, Biden and Trump, and the Republicans are defending only just 10 seats, all from states that are heavily Republican. A good friend of mine at the Cook Political Report, David Wasserman, says when it comes to Senate elections, Republicans could screw up a two-car funeral, okay? But uh, I think now they have to focus on the quality of the candidates. So you'll have a Republican-controlled Senate after 2024. President, I'm always asked, who could, you know, who could run for president in 2024? Let's start with the Republicans first. Donald Trump has already announced, and now he's starting to change. It's too late. It's just too late, in my judgment. But what, when he loses a couple of those early primaries, now, Republicans have not changed their order of primaries. Democrats have. They're going to start in South Carolina now. Why, why is that? Biden wanted that because he wants to defuse other Democrats from running against him. But if Donald Trump uh, realizes early on that he will not get the Republican nomination, the New York Times postulated the other day, would he run as an independent? And you can't rule that out with Trump. And if he were, that would at least increase the odds that a Democrat would win the White House. Then we have uh, 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They call him the one right now. I think it's his personally to lose on the uh, Republican nomination. He won his re-election as governor by 19, 18 to 19 percentage points. Uh, he bested uh, Trump in every county. And he won Miami-Dade County in Florida. That's hard to do for a Republican. And when you go to Florida as much as I do, um, I ask the people, what do they think about their governor? And not everybody, but the vast majority. They not only like him, they love him. And the one thing that comes through over and over is he did research in the early COVID days on COVID in elementary schools, in, in schools, that uh, there was no research that defended uh, kids not going to school. And he didn't close the schools. And I see the difference in Florida amongst their school children, uh, both from their advancement, uh, they're, they're not, they didn't go behind like too many states have, and in the mental health area of children. So he did his homework. So watch DeSantis. Another one, Tim Scott. You talk about an up-and-comer in the Republican Party. If he were to get more exposure, Americans would, would, really, would, would really see the significance of this guy. He's got a story to tell. He works uh, with Democrats in some areas without being called a rhino, Republican in name only. And if he doesn't get the top spot, he would be a significant person as a you know, vice president on the ticket. Mike Pence, a good guy, good heart, but uh, uh, will not be uh, favored by the Trumpsters because he didn't follow suit following January 6th. Glenn Youngkin, I've already talked about. Uh, uh, Virginia has a lot of electoral votes, so uh, he, if he's not the top ticket, uh, he would be a viable candidate for vice president as well to at least give Republicans a chance of getting those many electoral votes. Nikki Haley, you'll know Nikki Haley, she's going to announce February the 15th for uh, president, good person, former governor, former uh, ambassador to the United Nations. You know, any lady who makes it in D.C., which is still a sexist area, uh, has some smarts, and she does. Ted Cruz is almost too right uh, to become president at this particular time. Mike Pompeo, Trump's former Secretary of State, is almost too intelligent to be president, to be blunt. Okay. <laughs> For the Democrat side, now notice uh, in this list, I don't list everybody. In, in fact, frequently, when, when a speaker has these things, the eventual president is somebody not on the early list. Okay, that's called a caveat. Okay. On the uh, Republican side, Brian Kemp, the governor of uh, Georgia, could, could be one of those possibilities. On the Democratic side, I do not list Vice President Kamala Harris for reasons we well know. Okay? Uh, she doesn't stand a chance. Joe Biden, I'm mixed in my emotions here because I remember in my early days as a beat reporter in Washington, I interviewed him, both as a representative and then as a senator. This is just not the same Biden. He loves our country. He's a good man, uh, but he's not the Biden. Uh, I didn't think he was going to run maybe as soon as it was about a month ago, but then when he went to the wall in Texas, uh, I had to up my odds that uh, hmm, he could run for re-election after all. 
Uh, Pete Buttigieg, transportation secretary. This is what who the liberal media wants to be truthful to you. Uh, for many reasons, especially, of course, I travel a lot. And remember not too long ago when they grounded all planes until 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern time? Of course I was traveling that day. I blame him, so I don't want him to become <laughs> president. Amy Klobuchar, she knows agriculture. We could do far worse than having Amy Klobuchar as president. If truth be known, President Biden wanted her as his vice president. But uh, South Carolina was key. Uh, so he chose uh, uh, Kamala Harris at the time. If you ever want to go to sleep at night, you don't have to have relaxing pills. Buy Klobuchar's book called Antitrust, and at the, by the top of page two, you'll be sound asleep, okay? <laughs> Gavin Newsom, governor of California, one of the keys to uh, um, becoming president, you have to either have money yourself or able to get a lot of money, and he fits both. Now, when I gave this speech in California a while back, a farmer sent me this. Congrats, Gavin, U-Haul Salesman of the Year. Uh, more than a few Californians have left that state. Elizabeth Warren uh, has a big following, but I don't think enough to become president. Gretchen Whitmer, a star on the rise. Her impressive re-election in Michigan as governor. Uh, ALC. About a week to two weeks before the presidential election, she will become eligible to be president. I can't hold back on this. If she were president, I'm leaving the country. <laughs> and unlike those movie stars when Trump got to be president who threatened to leave, they're still here, okay? I will go, okay? <laughs> then we have Pritzker from Illinois. Uh, I was in Springfield, Illinois last week, my old haunting grounds, and, and uh, I think more than a few farmers want him to run for president to get him out of the state. Uh, Bernie Sanders, there's nothing like a socialist who wants to run for president again to get another million dollar plus house, okay? God love America, okay? But there's one person who if she would run, she won't, she hates politics. But if she were to run, I think she'd win the presidency, Michelle Obama. Uh, the reason it would resurrect the Obama coalition and CNN, or what's left of it, and MSNBC would fawn all over the Obamas uh, again. Now, if you read or listen to her book, I listen to most of books now, uh, Becoming, she's got another book out, but Becoming's a good book. I, I would tell you to read it. It's more in depth of understanding our former first lady. She's something to uh, acknowledge, her intelligence, her fortitude, etc. That's it. Uh, we're, I know you've got a, a lunch uh, coming up, but I do want to hear if you have any questions on comments that I've raised or issues that I did not raise. Okay? Thank you. Jim, there's, there's a mother in North Alabama that wants to know if the GOP parents' rights idea extends to grounding me. <laughs> just okay. Uh, any questions from the audience? In the back. Yell yes. them out too. Do we have a rolling mic or not? Go ahead. Long-term effects for agriculture or for America? Yeah. Well, both. It's not a good development. 
I mean, just to, to go through, what's his name? Uh, the head of Homeland Security should be impeached because he told Congress under oath that the border was secure. That's just my office. Yeah, just sad. Uh, and now, since Biden's gone down there, now the liberal uh, media are starting to cover it. The reason why it's long-term issues negative is uh, uh, these unvest, uh, unvetted uh, number of people. Uh, I remember years ago traveling to uh, London, and I saw a lot of many, not that there are anything wrong with Mideast people, but more than a few Mideast people. This was in the 70s. I thought to myself, wow, that's interesting. And, you know, they've had some trouble with uh, 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 security issues, so it's going to grow. Uh, there's some people, and at least the numbers would tend to suggest, uh, who do you think these people, if ever granted citizenship, would vote for? Okay? This could be long-term uh, voting for the Democrats uh, in Congress. We'll see. We'll see. But there's there's more. But I would think security issues are paramount. Yeah, right down here. Will budget issues drown the farm bill? They could. It, it depends on the momentum at the time. I think a case could be made, at least by the Republicans, uh, you know, year in and year out, rural voters, not just farmers and producers, rural voters, vote 62 to 65 percent Republican. It's payout time. I would get a little more aggressive if I were the commodity groups. And that's what, uh, that's what McCarthy understands. Now, plus, as I said, we've got really big gaps in that safety net. And to me, these people who want to have an extension, you don't win by losing. I think that I would update uh, that bill when you can. But it depends on the environment at the time that bill is truly debated and written on the floor, where this debt issue goes. We have until now, until looks like late June, early July, for McCarthy and uh, Biden to, uh, to, to get an agreement on either extending the debt limit or suspending it. And depending on how that goes, that could be a, a, a play in the Farm Bill. And even Congressional Budget Office's estimate of the Farm Bill spending will be $1.1 trillion over 10 years. Now, that's a lot of money. So you have to defend it. So let the defending begin. Okay? Next. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, I got the first part. What was the second part? Well, it's the farm bill and spending. Oh, appropriations. The possibility is for a maverick amendment. That's why you, you, have, you should be concerned about that. Uh, because it's happened in the past. And now you have the players involved in the rules committee, who at least some of whom, uh, not all, have a history of just attack mode. You know? So yes. I, I think I don't think they're going to succeed because you have bipartisan support for the sugar program. So I think that's a safety valve. And the recent history is wide uh, voting in favor of uh, 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 you know sugar programs. 
and wide voting against some onerous uh, amendments in the last farm bill. You also have to watch appropriation bills too. They can, they can come at you at appropriation bills. But uh, to me it's an element, I think it was mentioned by the researchers, uh, agriculture is food security. Crop insurance is food security, etc. I think the uh, Ukraine war has resurrected food production and security as well. So those are arguments uh, in good steam to come against. But the but the threat is there, no doubt about it. And the sugar bulletin, by the way, you'll see an article giving you a little bit of that history going back to 1994 when uh, Speaker Gingrich changed to an open rule system and the impact that it had on us. It meant both the Farm Bill and for the next two years appropriations amendments until they got tired of having to deal with those amendments and we had speakers who could tamp it down. You don't have that anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. H2, yeah, A. H2A. Agriculture needs a significant increase in the total maximum HTA, H2A workers allowed. This has been the frustrating thing to watch over the last two administrations. You know, when George W. Bush was in, he almost got immigration reform, but just enough Republicans of his own party defeated it. Uh, I think there's at least po a possibility of an ag alone reform bill. Uh, that would be good because the votes are there. What the lawmakers who want comprehensive immigration reform don't want that to happen because they wonder if the ags, ag lawmakers would still vote for that if they got their own immigration reform. But we need workers and that's been frustrated. That's why the rise of uh, you know, businesses in coming up with technology to temper uh, the lack of workers. But it's not only the lack of workers, it's how to keep them. It's how to keep them that I see in the industry. But H2A program has a good history. It should easily be doubled uh, on that one for all the, all the good reasons. Increasingly so, I don't know how it is in Louisiana. I see a lot more workers coming from Africa now than any other country. I don't know whether that's true here under, under temporary uh, worker programs. Any other questions? Yes, sir, in the back. Given the differences on the left and the right with the nutrition program that's tied to the farm bill, do you ever see us get another farm bill come through, or just is there not enough interest there to, to kind of get over the differences left and right, and we're going to just see it rolling down the hill and just be yeah. I mean, repass and Yeah. There's, there's interest, there's, uh, see, I thought you were going, should we unhitch the food and nutrition? No, 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 boy, that would play right into their hands. That's like a big balloon from China coming over the farm bill, you know what I mean? But uh, your suburbanites and urbanites uh, have to have that food stamp funding in there. Uh, I don't see the death knell of a farm bill. Uh, now, it should be probably not five years, I think it should be uh, uh, more frequently because the way the world accelerates now uh, and things like that. But you're, you have an institution built up around the farm bill, you know, uh, uh, commodity groups, uh, 
uh, Farm Bureau, things like that. Now I just, and the, the committee structures, things like that. It's needed because it gives a refocus on the current situation and the look ahead over the next few years of what's needed for the business of agriculture. So I, I, I think it will continue, yes. How frustrating it can be sometimes. Any other questions? Yeah, way in the back. Repeat. We have a situation where we have higher input costs across agriculture. We have programs that are revenue and price based. So how do you get an effective safety net with that problem? Well, put either, I like usually, the beauty about the insurance program, uh, which is the best risk management tool I've seen in my long career. It's primarily because the, 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 the interplay between private industry and their entrepreneurship, and in the case, this case, government uh, RMA. Uh, in the case of inputs, uh, that will be an issue in the Farm Bill. Is there anything from a federal program? But I do know certain uh, uh, crop insurance companies are coming up with uh, what they hope to be a viable input uh, uh, hedge, if you will, insurance policy. Uh, so I would watch. Uh, uh, I would watch that. And I remember when the before when when COVID didn't even start. I was in a three-year process of remodeling my home, and early on I saw uh, problems getting supplies. Okay, and. Uh, particularly in my kitchen, where I had to wait four to six months to get rather expensive appliances. So, and then COVID hit, but I called all, most of my cousins, I used to say uncles, figure that one out. Uh, my cousins who farm in Illinois and Missouri, and I told them, lock in your inputs, because connect the dots, it's gonna happen here. That was the first year I ever got Christmas presents from them, in December. <laughs> My point here is that meetings like this are great because you sit down, you breathe, and you think. So farmers who came through the 80s, 83, 84, 85, the depression in agriculture, like wet cement on my forehead, learned a lot of lessons. But every once in a while, sit back and try to connect dots. And you'd be surprised how ahead of the game you can be. I want to end it before lunch with one sugar story. I think there's enough new people that haven't heard my story. Again, the best ones are the true ones. I go uh, usually every December to a pork producer meeting in Marshall Island, Florida. And I think it's the biggest Marriott in the U.S. And uh, I, I drink your crops, okay? So I was at the outdoor Tiki Lounge, okay? And I kept on seeing these seagulls come in and they would pick through the packets of sugar. And I noticed they didn't pick the yellow, they didn't pick the blue, they picked the white package. And I asked the font of all wisdom, the bartender, why is that? And he goes, oh, they want the real thing. <laughs> Thank you for your time. <laughs>